最前沿的科学研究。Before we speak with our guests today, Dr. Mahel Elowitz and Sarah Harmon, we're going to have a nice group discussion with two of our members of Science Rehashed, Emma Brand and Dr. Shuang Zhang. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi. How have you guys been dealing with COVID during this quarantine time? I definitely think mental health-wise, it's been very interesting. I could say at least. I think one of the bigger things that quarantine's actually allowed me to do is focus on my mental health more because it's very easy, you know, when you get into the swing of like the daily grind to ignore all of your problems and. Inner turmoil. So while it's been not the most fun experience, I think it's been、uh, an enlightening one. What about you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel like before quarantine, like every day, just like when I wake up, just come to the lab, and like lab is really busy. I just didn't have that much time to think about myself. But suddenly, I think when quarantine hits, right? So we cannot really go to the lab. I suddenly have so much time. Just at home and thinking about my life, thinking about what's going on in this whole world. It's definitely, I feel it's the time that pushed me to think more like about myself. One of the struggle I had is definitely, I think it's like very self-critical, right? So at home, suddenly you just feel like you you're not productive at all, and that's one thing that I struggle a lot at the beginning of the quarantine. I guess. Was there any interesting self-discoveries that about yourself that you would like to share? I guess one thing is to have more like self compassion towards myself. Like speaking about this, you know, the self critical voice is like, why are you not productive anymore? Like, when are you gonna push your project? When are you gonna, you know, finish your papers? So that voice, I think, just like it's not helpful at all. At first, like I think I was stuck in this vicious cycle. The more I'm critical about myself, the more I feel beaten up. I was even less productive. But then this one day, I read this New York Times article. They were talking about this is not the right time for us to judge ourselves or our self productivity, because this is such a hard time. Like it's a it's a problem. Like you know the, the whole human being, the whole society is facing, and you need to face this like deadly virus and trying to adapt to this new norm. It's already a really hard job to do. So. Probably it's not a good time to beat yourself up and judge about your productivity. Like being able to survive is already pretty、uh, hard job to do. I think that's one thing、I'm, I've been trying to tell myself: is more like do not judge yourself, be more compassionate. Yeah, being more self-forgiving, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah.、Mm-hmm. yeah. Mary, I think everyone reacts differently to stressful kind of situations like the pandemic and the coronavirus was a little bit unique. It was my first experience to have such a isolated situation in my life, and a fear and anxiety about a new disease and. Unprecedented situation. What's gonna happen can be overwhelming sometimes and cause strong emotions in in people. And I think that's also a little bit can can cause a good impact or vice versa. It's like the social distancing can make people feel isolated and lonely and can increase like the stress and anxiety. We are very social animals and we've been part of the labs every day, daily life. Even though we we are with 
bench scientists, but we we have these social interactions on a daily basis. And it's a little bit sometimes overwhelming. One specific aspect that I can say that I could discover about myself during this pandemic, one thing that I would love to do is to care for, for loved ones or family members. And when you are isolated and you need to keep the social distancing and or you're when you are far from your loved ones, it's a little bit, it can be overwhelming that you cannot reach them, that you cannot uh, take care of them. And that's one thing that it was a little bit bringing anxiety and being stressful to me during this pandemic. And still it is, I'm very far from my loved ones and my family. And I can envision how difficult can be for a lot of people that they have a loved ones far away from, uh, from themselves. Yeah, it's very hard. It's very hard for everyone. Yeah, and for me, I think there's a couple things. One is that I think during the pandemic, the first couple months, I was anxious because there wasn't anything to do or I couldn't do all the things I used to do. So never really in my life have I ever kind of taken a break, you know, all the life's demands. And this was the first time I was able to, and it made me really anxious initially. But like you guys said, you know, kind of not being productive. But like after a couple months now, or over six months into this quarantine type of life. And I actually found a really much more balanced. I think my life is a lot more balanced towards kind of a normal work-life balance as people describe. And I think what I thought was a normal work-life balance previously is not not necessarily the case. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a great, I think it's good to kind of have a different perspective on that. I also started appreciating my cats a lot more, honestly. The fact that they calm me down a lot and I'm happy to spend all day with them sometimes because they're just, you know, so adorable and innocent and they kind of make the time pass a little bit faster. Both, you know, that's a good and a bad thing (laughs) at the same time. Otherwise, in terms of, I mean, I, I definitely experienced what you, Emma, and Shrunk kind of explained with that anxiety and the work aspect and beating myself up, but I think I kind of let that go about three months in and just say, well, it's going to be what it's going to be and I'll do the best I can and just hope really the most important thing is everyone is healthy. So now we're going to move on to um, our guests, uh, our featured guests from today who are experts in mental health. We have um, Sarah Harmon, who is a licensed mental health therapist in Boston, and Dr. Mahel Elowitz, the director of Maternal and Child Health Research Center at UPenn Medicine. And they are going to talk about how to build mental resilience for the general public. A little about me. So I am a licensed mental health counselor. I have a private practice here in Downtown Crossing in Boston. Before I was a licensed therapist, I was a yoga teacher and was connecting to people, learning about the mind-body connection and connecting with people in that space. And then when I became a therapist, I enjoyed integrating the two. So using information about the mind and emotions in my yoga classes and talking about mindfulness and the body in my clinical practice. And that intersection has been such a gift, I think, for clients, but also just for me, it's so interesting. Also, just I I 
I'm fascinated by the brain and I love teaching about the brain, especially around mindfulness. So today I am still this the mental health counselor. I teach less yoga than I used to. You know, when you're a student, you know, you're, I was running around town teaching all these yoga classes while I was in grad school. And now slowly that's, that's shifted. But um, most recently, I've also launched a new company called the School of Mom, which is Mom stands for Mothering Oneself Mindfully. And so it's really this mindful self-care dedicated offering. So it really, it's geared towards women uh, right now, and particularly moms to learn how to nurture and mother themselves. And because, you know, as a therapist, I was really seeing this, this need for more, for understanding self-care. You know, we all talk about self-care, it's a buzzword, but really understanding it and understanding how to make it accessible. So that's something that I actually accelerated during COVID, which I can talk about because of this intense need for self-care practices, which we are still seeing and which is very important. Since the pandemic, have you seen an increase in number of clients you have? What are some of the most common concerns or issues that came up from your clients? The majority of my clients are women. I do have a few males on my caseload. Um, so that's who I work with. And I have not seen a drop-off. The only people I've seen drop-off actually are my few college students because all of them had to go home. And so they all went home and we could, I've done virtual with a few of them, but I think just the nature of being home has helped a lot of them. So those are the ones I haven't seen, but, but it's been fascinating to me and not surprising that my client caseload has not only stayed consistent, but I've actually had many clients that I've not seen for a while come back because they are struggling now. And that's happened in the past month, which I think you're curious about and you're speaking to is this, this wave that's rolling of the impact of COVID and the mental and emotional impact is something that we're really starting to see and understand. And I'm definitely on the front lines of that in, in my therapy conversations. My name is Michal Elevitz. I am professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Pennsylvania. My other positions include being vice chair of translational research for our department, and probably my most important job is I'm director for the Maternal and Child Health Research Center, which is a center that we created almost 12 years ago that spans research from the bench to the bedside to improve the lives of women, moms, and their babies. And has the patient population shifted? Have you seen kind of a decrease in certain populations or anything like that? No, I mean, you know, the one thing when everyone talked about, you know, essential services and was focused on the ER and ICUs, they kind of forgot, not unusually or unpredictably, about pregnant women. Pregnancy doesn't go on hold for a pandemic. It wasn't like, you know, people at 28 weeks said, okay, I'm going to hold till the pandemic's done. Like, pregnancy keeps going. So um, our population did not shift. Patients still had to come in. We shifted a little to telehealth when we thought it was mm -hmm. doable, and that's something that's still in the works. And maybe sometimes it's more doable and other times it should not be. And I think we're still in the trying to figure that out as a as a global service, as OBGYNs, about what where that balance is for telehealth versus in person. But yeah. it's been a very different time. And have you been adapting your support in a particular way? I mean, is the hospital specifically changing ways of cares for these past few months and also the upcoming months? So I would say that our um, hospital and specifically our director of OB services has been very on top of this from the beginning. Mm. And we did learn from our colleagues in New York. So we have a global community in maternal fetal medicine. And as you probably know, in New York initially, they were going to stop all visitors on the labor floor. And it was meant with the idea to limit infection. 
the same way that visitors weren't allowed at other places. But, you know, I think, again, not unusual for pregnant women, kind of the impact might have not been appreciated. And the fear of COVID at that time was so large that those, those unfortunately got kind of entangled into a way that did not serve pregnant women. Mm-hmm. So that did not happen. And a support person was allowed on the OB floors. So we never went there where we could not have a support person on our labor floor. That's been there. We moved to universal testing of our patients pretty soon into the pandemic so that we knew who to be at risk or not, both for the providers as well as for the patients. So we've been pretty proactive about keeping a partner on the labor floor Mm -hmm. with the mom, as well as initially there was also this thought, not initially, but for some places still this thought of separating the mom and baby when their mom was COVID positive by this universal testing. We have very much moved the opposite direction in that if babies are otherwise healthy and moms are healthy, they can still room together. So we've tried not to separate moms and babies when we don't have to. And for the outpatient, it's still been that there's not a support person. The hospital at large is making some exceptions now for kind of critical things, you know, new cancer diagnosis, surgery, et cetera. The problem, again, with obstetrics is you don't always know when there's going to be a problem. Unpredictable. Um, So it's been hard. But we're trying to do the best for our patients while understanding that it's a pandemic. So what are some of the common issues or things that you typically talk about with your clients? So in the beginning, there was a lot of processing the impact, process the evolving news, which it's still evolving, but... We've gotten more accustomed to looking at new data and new guidelines. In the beginning, one of the things I was talking a lot about with clients was the stages of grief. There was losses happening all the time. The loss of being able to feel safe going to the grocery store, the loss of being able to go to work, the loss of childcare, the loss of being able to see loved ones. And so there was a lot of loss happening and talking to clients about the stages of grief, which, you know, there's different models out there, but the general one is denial is the first, anger, bargaining, sadness, and acceptance. And what that framework was very helpful to help clients understand in any given week where they were at, given what was happening with the COVID regulations. So, you know, clients were doing okay. My, my mom clients were doing okay. And then I remember a very specific week where the news came out that schools were going to be extended, the closings of schools and daycares was going to be extended to a, a later date. And there was another wave of loss and grief and denial and bargaining. And so that's been a helpful framework to work with. Anxiety, a lot of anxiety, a lot of unknown. I mean, this is, so anxiety loves this type of situation, Right. Anxiety has been trying to prepare humans that struggle with anxiety for this moment forever. Right. It's it's like this is this is its heyday. It's so excited. And it's really one of the things I talk about with anxiety is focusing on the process of anxiety versus the content. And what do I mean by that is if we're stuck in the content of anxiety, we're going into the nitty gritty of the data specifics, like the family members, the school, the work guidelines or whatever it might be. When am I going on vacation? What's the health of myself? Like all these bubbles or pockets of specifics that we worry about. And that's important to a point, yet there's always going to be something, right? So my my clients is, that struggle with anxiety, one of the things that we kind of have a little bit of a laugh around is, oh my gosh, what did I what did I worry about last year at this time? Like I had a lot of anxiety last year at this time. What was I even worrying about? And that's why anxiety doesn't 
care. It's just, it's going to be present no matter what's going on. It's going to latch on to things. But right now, of course, it's on steroids. It's very heightened because of the content that it can latch onto. So that's one thing I like to help clients just understand is like, are we, are we stuck in content and okay, that's helpful, but we really, to, to work with anxiety long-term, we want to talk about the process of how you're relating to the stress or the data or the worry or the content, right? And, or all those things. And so in terms of the process, it's really navigating, this is a personal thing. So working with clients around the process of making decisions with unknowns and helping them to feel empowered and making decisions when there's never going to be like quarantine actually was one of the most calm times for everyone because it was universal right? There was no gray area for decisions. It was like, you need to stay home. This is it. And then now that things are lifting, there's a spike again, because there's, there's personal decisions. There's judgment of other personal decisions of your decisions, right? There's a lot of gray area now and it's spiking. I'm wondering how has the pandemic and the current reopening, how has it really affected your life and family life, your social life, and how? what steps have you taken to overcome some of the challenges that you faced? You know, it is a unique time to be a therapist right now because it's not often or ever, not, you know, I've been practicing now probably 10 years. It's not often that at least I've experienced where you're going through the same significant life event with your clients. So this is a first for me as a clinician, right? Like it happened, you know, there's always big life events, but you know, I, when I've talked to clinicians that are a little older, they talk about nine 11 and having to go through nine 11 with their clients. And, and so it's been a challenge, honestly, because I've had to be doing exactly the same thing that I'm recommending to my clients, right? So doubling down on basic self-care, really basic self-care. So what has helped for me is from the beginning, I, you know, so I have a three and a half year old and she was in school, which got closed. And then I also have a 20 month old, so the younger one, and we had a nanny for her. And so in the beginning, we were in that, in the position where we had to make a decision on childcare and our nanny was, she was being shared with another family she was with us more. So we had a conversation with her and the other family. And we said, you know, are you comfortable only seeing our family? And so we worked it out that that's the way we did. And we asked her not to take public transportation and we trust her. She's wonderful. She's, when I think of my COVID team, she's a big part of it because having her maintain some sort of stability with my family, with having the kids have some childcare, that was really the way that I could be in a place where I could see clients because my friends, my clients that are parents working from home, I've been counseling them through it. And I have luckily been able to be in a better place because I haven't, I've had a little bit of a break. So I have three days where I have our nanny. So that is really actually the only reason why I've been able to stay open, to be honest, is because of her. <laughs> if I didn't have childcare, I don't think it would have, think I probably would have had to close my practice for a little while. So that's helped my team. I also have little kids, so I'm quite lucky, you know, I mean, lucky. And also it's, it's very hard. Little kids take a lot. So the nanny definitely puts me in a, in a different situation than a lot of my 
fellow parents that have young kids, but also, you know, my kids, like they're pretty easily to contain. They can be really loud and tiring, but they don't really get what's going on. They're just like, oh, this is fun. Mom and dad are home more. And my oldest is like, I don't have to go to school. Like, okay, you know, that sounds fun. So that has been, you know, so having her, she's been a big part of my co-team and really like for us, like we just haven't that's it. It's been our little bubble of our nanny and my family really up until recently when things started opening up, we just, we really actually started to, to enjoy not going anywhere. Everyone's in such a different situation. And I don't know if you've heard this line, which I love is that we're all in the same storm, but we're in different boats. And so just acknowledging the boat you're in and that, you know, the storm is the storm. We're all struggling and, and comparing suffering isn't really helpful yet. It is important when we're thinking about, you know, who we're talking to and how we can support one another. Similarly, physicians in the clinic are also struggling to adapt the change that COVID brings to us. What has been your clinical experience during this pandemic? It's been really, really hard, right? So we work in masks, right? We operate, yeah. we work in masks. That's not so different. So working in masks and seeing patients every day in the outpatient setting is tiring and it puts up a different barrier that we're not used to. We're getting kind of used to it, but it's still, it's still hard. It's still hard to, we're used to using our facial expressions to make moms feel better or to try and reassure them or to be honest, express concern. And it's a new way of learning how to deal with our patients. And I will tell you dealing, so I do maternal fetal medicine. I tell women when things are great with their baby, I tell them when they're not. I tell them when they're high risk and I tell them when they're not. And during this pandemic, telling risky news or unfortunate news or really bad news to a mom in our outpatient setting, they're alone, has been challenging, depressing, and really difficult. To see moms go through this normally is bad. To see them go through it alone is, is really hard. Speaking of masks, we also asked Sarah about mask wearing during social hangouts. I mean, even just thinking about, should I hang out with my friends? Maybe there's only two of them. Is it safe right now to, to, to you know, spend time with them even outside? Is that okay? Would people, even one thing I think I've noticed is how people, one, after this is happening, appreciate being able to go to a coffee shop and sit at a coffee shop, something very simple. <laughs> but secondly, really, there's a bit of a, a judgment thing going on when people aren't wearing masks or they are hanging out in a group because in a way a lot of these people who hang out in groups are younger and they typically don't wear masks or they're maybe a little too close some of them are great they're, they're six feet apart and that's perfect but um for others they're sitting so close and you look at this group and you're like worried about whether this particular interaction will start the second wave that's part of i think a lot of the anxiety as well so if i decide to hang out with a friend will i be the person to contribute to that that's a lot of weight to bear, especially for students. And this is a time, you know, I have my college students. I, I just really, I feel so sad that people have had to you know, miss out on big events like graduations and things that they've worked really hard for. And so I think, you know, when we think about judgment or when we experience judgment, asking yourself, is this helpful or is it not helpful? And, and now it's not really a time. No, judgment in general isn't really a helpful, <laughs> isn't a helpful reaction. You know, when we when I teach mindfulness, we talk about getting curious without judgment. 
And we talk about the difference between judgment and discernment. And so judgment is kind of that, you know, you're not wearing a mask, that's bad. And very quickly going there. And we, when we're doing that a lot, it can really weigh on us. Discernment is more of that, you know, okay, they're not wearing a mask. So what can I do here? So I'm going to decide that I'm not going to hang out with them, or maybe I'm going to ask them to wear a mask, or maybe I'm going to remind myself that, you know, I'm doing the best that I can, or whatever it might be that you can kind of more take the pause and intentionally come to a place where you feel like you're in control of your own actions, because that's all we're in control of. So I, I have clients make lists of what's in their control and what's out of their control right now to, to stay grounded in those things and when to help them not get so caught up in the judgment because everyone's on a different side of the spectrum or a different place of the spectrum of caution, right? Some people are really, really cautious because either they have a health condition or they, they just are cautious people in general before, regardless of COVID, or they are really wanting to see a loved one that they don't want to compromise. And some people are just a little more cavalier, maybe because, I don't know, they they don't have whatever it is, right? We make assumptions a lot of the times, but just acknowledging that everyone's going to be on the different end of the spectrum or different side of the spectrum, including you, and really having to discern what is my process here? What's my process in making a decision? And that helps with judgment so that we can acknowledge, okay, they're on a different point than I am on the spectrum, and they have a different process than I do. And, you know, if you know the person, bring it up to them. Can say, you can I can you help me understand why you're not wearing a mask? Or, you know, would you be comfortable wearing a mask when I'm with you? And see what they say. It might be a difficult conversation, but instead of staying in these judgments, it can be empowering to just have that conversation. We were wondering if you knew of any resources, more national organizations or easy to access online resources where it can help to educate people on these psychological and mental health issues and perhaps resources to seek help or, you know, engage in activities online to promote mental health. So would you care to share a couple of those? And also, secondly, could you comment on a little bit about how the government and public health leaders can help to add to that effort in order to keep the country healthy, not just physically, but also mentally? I think that right now, obviously, like finding therapist is it's a great time to get some support. I also think there's such value in groups and in talking with people that are in the same situation you're in. So I actually was reading a New York Times article recently that there's someone that provided a software for for health workers to connect and talk at the end of the day and to really just like talk openly with each other. And that I think is very healing to just process, to process out loud so that you're not processing and replaying a patient interaction or a loss of a patient over and over and over in your head. We need to give these people a place to process and to allow their emotions to move through them because otherwise they do get stuck. And so individual support, but also group support, which I hope that hospitals are doing, I actually don't know. So I can't really speak to that because I'm not sure what's happening on the hospital level. But I would encourage people to, to you know, maybe reach out to some of their colleagues and say, hey, do you want to like connect on the phone and just either like chat about our experience and or just like the birds for a second, just to connect and to, to be with each other outside of the trauma, right? To be with each other and just sit with each other and process with each other outside of being in it. I think that's so helpful. And then 
for the same things I'm saying to my clients around, you know, when you are not in the thick of it, your self-care is so important. So basics, like basics right now are getting outside, putting your feet, your bare feet on the floor. Even if you're in the city, go find a small plot of grass and, or rocks and just, you know, put your feet on the ground and practice that present moment body awareness of right now, right here, I'm standing on the grass right now, right here. I feel the air on my skin. I feel the sun on my face. So practicing that present moment awareness, movement, you know, getting just any movement, yoga, walking, shaking, you know, there's some great trauma practices, just like a, a dance, a shake, just getting the body to process physically all the stuckness that it's been taking on. And then mindful consumption. And when I talk about that, I talk about news and any media, really, I think, you know, we're like moths to a flame with the news sometimes. And so if you are on the front lines and you're in it, being really mindful of what you're consuming when you have a choice, right? So when you don't have a choice, you're just consuming it anyway. And people are saying, you know, they're telling you new stories and And so actually when you don't have to be consuming that information, having a boundary and saying to someone, you know, actually like this is my time off, or even if you have a 15 minute break from your shift, this is actually my time off. I was just going to watch a Seinfeld clip, you know, or a clip about puppies. Like, you know, can we not talk just to really protect that time so that your brain can be intentionally focusing on something else. So some boundaries around consumption. And then obviously just like consumption, we can think about like what we're putting in our bodies, that basic self-care of nourishing and fueling our bodies with, you know, watching alcohol consumption and, you know, just food, nutritious food. We forget how crucial those things are. So those are the same things I would be recommending to healthcare workers are those basic grounding self-care practices, boundaries around consumption and engagement with the trauma when they don't have to be in it, and then process, process individually or in groups, finding a place to process all that they have experienced and continue to experience because that's going to be really important to as as this isn't going anywhere you know soon i think we're in a different place than we were 2 months ago i have a, a neighbor who works in the er at brigham and she's kind of giving giving me updates on like what the status of the hospital is like and it sounds like it's different now but it's they're still in it in a way that we've never been in it so that is you know definitely finding those outlets but also committing to personal practices that's what i would recommend Yeah, I'm curious also about exercise because now that a lot of yoga studios are closed and you can't, you know, hop onto SoulCycle or or another the gym or anything like that, you know, I think it's been difficult for people to motivate themselves to go out there and just go for a run. I mean, I think it's great because I live next to the Esplanade and you know, I do see a lot of people out there on a really nice day and it, that's wonderful to see. I see people walk around the commons, but I'm sure for a lot of people getting out there and going going for a run every day or every other day is still a struggle especially when it's not you know particularly nice outside right now we're going to the summer so it's kind of lucky in a way but but before this a couple you know two months ago it was still quite cold and, and you know I was finding myself not being very motivated to go outside and go for that run even if I knew I should <laughs> you know I teach I teach the science of happiness 
And actually, when I was at Wentworth, um, I co-founded a program that was really about teaching the science of happiness to, to our community at, at Wentworth Institute of Technology. And one of the big things with, with the science of happiness is that we overemphasize the impact that the big events are going to have on us, and we underemphasize the impact the small events are going to have on us. And this kind of happens with exercise. And I hear my parents say this a lot of like, well, you know, for self-care, like if I can't do my 45-minute soul cycle class, then like I can't exercise. Right. Or if I can't, if I'm not going to go for my long run because it's raining, I'm not going to go for a run at all. And so thinking about small practices like five minutes versus 45 minutes or whatever it is of just any type of moving, kind of getting out. You know, I when I think of exercise, I actually I like to reframe it for people as movement, because I think there's this idea of like, oh, I'm healthy if I go out for a 30 minute run. But for the remaining waking hours of your day, you're sitting. And that's actually not a good pattern to be in. So it's it's much bodies are meant to move. So it's better to do movements throughout the day and and walk away from this model or this belief that we need to carve out like a small chunk for exercise. Um, and I would just think movement. So you know, just like dancing, like getting silly and a non traditional, not thinking you need it needs to look or be a certain way is is what I encourage. And small pockets. So. Literally five jumping jacks, a few times an hour or a few times a day, whatever it might be, is is really those smaller practices is what I encourage and just general movement. It was a great conversation with both Michal and Sarah. Let's hear some last message Sarah wants to share with us to stay sane and compassionate in the midst of this pandemic. I think one of the things that, you know, is so important to, to help people with a struggle with anxiety, but also with this time and like what's next, right? Like now that's kind of the wave we're in right now with my therapy clients is like, where do we go from here? What is this new normal? And the practice of mindfulness, you know, there's something called the four noble truths in mindfulness. And the essence of those is that to be human is to suffer and suffering is caused by craving or resisting the present moment. So we're often not wanting to be feeling what we're feeling or be where we're at. We're craving it to be somewhere else or resisting what we're currently experiencing. And really the way out of that intense suffering is just acknowledging that life is going to be unpleasant sometimes and, and we're going to have unknowns. And that when we come into the present moment, if we can shift our relationship to the present moment, we can actually relieve so much of our suffering. So I think one of the things I can't recommend highly enough, just getting familiar with mindfulness and mindfulness meditation. You know, there's so many amazing resources in Boston and guided meditation apps and things like that to help people be able to, to stay present in their physical bodies and shift their relationship to maybe some mental patterns and habits that they have that lead them to a, a really anxious place. So, you know, I, I would be not doing the mindfulness teachings and <laughs> my work as a therapist justice if I didn't mention just the power of the mindfulness practice, mindfulness meditation practice as a resource and a tool, not just for this time, but really for, as we talked about, the process versus the content of managing challenging times and the unknowns. One thing that I have found helpful for me is thinking about how this kind of combats my like internalized capitalism that like my entire worth and purpose and value is in like the job that I have and how many hours can I work and how many goals can I accomplish and and that's kind of the the general idea that we're sold is that 
you have to be accomplished and you have to get all these things done. And, and by the time you get to the end of your life and retirement, then you can start enjoying all the seeds that you've sown. And I think the pandemic has really caused a lot of people to kind of think about and like reassess if they do enjoy their jobs or if they even still have them and, and kind of like the, the way that we've structured our lives around these ideals and it's still a little scary trying to figure out how to progress further in that because we still live in this society, but it's also been kind of freeing at the same time to, to not feel so indebted to, to that idea. I think that, that your whole purpose is in your paycheck. (laughs) That's a really great point. And I'm sure a lot of people have thought very similar things. So then now that your self-worth is no longer attached to your job or the number of things you can get done, you know, how have you restructured that concept in your mind? Yeah, well, I guess that's the that's the hard part, you know, it's kind of the like blank canvas is trying to figure out the other side of that is so what will your purpose be now and do you even need one and is it more just about like taking it day by day and smelling flowers and all of that? I think that's kind of what I'm trying hard to do. Obviously, that's really difficult, but trying to just not stress so much about the future and what other people think and and what does success mean and do I come off that way to other people and things like that. But that's going to be a lifelong journey, I think. <laughs> That's very interesting because that resonates very well with me. I'm a little bit thinking a lot before the COVID about the meaning of life and what's the purpose and why we do this and why we have to do it this way. But again, as as you well said about this, the pandemic gives you another like open window that you can think about it deeply and go beyond your like i don't know daily basis your job your how you're psychologically rewarded when you do things and how we want to follow up with this with life and after the pandemic and i think it's it's got me way deeper into the meaning of life i'm still looking for it <laughs> but i think it's a good point in my life that even you can start thinking about this and you can, as you said, appreciate the moments that you are in, appreciate the people around you and don't take anything for granted. I think these things, we need to embrace them more. We are a little bit overwhelmed with our daily basis life. It's a lot of things from person to person are different, but sometimes we are a little bit swamped away from the real meaning of being uh, existed in this world. Shrong, what do you think? I do think I've been thinking about like this for a long time. Like even before COVID, I think when I was like for a while, I definitely associate like my self-worth to how much I can achieve, right? In grad school is like, what for how many like fellowship you can get, what kind of awards you can get, or how many paper you can get, like the data in the lab. But it's definitely I feel this COVID helped like uh, made me realize 
I think in this like really really hard time, it's the people around you, your loved one, your friends that keeps you going. No matter how like introverted you are, we we do need that type of human connection. So I think instead of it definitely made me think instead of like your academic or career achievement, I think maybe I put more emphasis on on my value to how I make people around me feel. Let's get to the question. Does human civilization probably is passing through the critical era while its existence is being challenged by the emergence of this COVID-19 or whatever, the pandemic? I don't think so. I mean, like this, this is not the first time a pandemic has happened, right? So... I mean, now we're dealing with it perhaps better than ever before and at a level where the entire world is connected, but definitely not the first time and definitely not the most most death due to a pandemic. So I don't know if it's currently challenging too much. It's more of kind of demonstrating, at least for me, how with the current technologies that we do have, that current knowledge that we do have, how we can deal with things that we previously never even understood. Yeah, I think one of the things that does bring me hope through all of this is just reminding myself and seeing it like every day throughout this, how adaptable humans are and how we've always been adaptable. And there's always a post, there's always a post-war, there's always a post-pandemic. Hopefully there will be a post-climate change. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're going to make it through. And unfortunately, yeah, humans aren't as invincible or honestly intelligent as we always think that we are and we always think that we can solve problems with like the snap of a finger but this one's really showing us that it might take a year maybe longer for us to solve it and that's scary because we definitely all got to a point where we thought that technology was at a point that could just save anyone we wanted so I think it's a humbling reminder about the only constant in life is change and death and taxes. (laughs) Thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Science Rehashed. Thank you to Dr. Rudy Tenzi for providing us with the music for our intro. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. You can also visit our website at sciencerehash.com. We would also like to thank all the members of Science Rehash who contributed their time in making Science Rehash possible. This includes our writers, Madura Lolikar and Kara Brenner, our marketing director, Carla Diavanzo, our sound editors, Tavi Pollard, Jared Warsoff, and Sophia Nastri, our assistant, Rebecca Solison, our creative director, Emma Brand, our producer, Shuang Zhang, and our business development director, Vichy Lo. Our show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Please subscribe and recommend our podcast to your friends and send us your comments and feedback. Thanks for listening.